Hello, hello, it's Brett the Petite Polymath. Tonight I'm going to be talking about The Portrait of a Mirror by A. Natasha Joukowsky. Hello, everyone. It is March. I don't know where the time went, but it's flying by. Uh, so you can always tell when I am traveling because that's when I read uh, for fun and have a bit more time, um, particularly fiction, because during the week I try to read at night a few pages, but I'm in the midst of a couple of books that are nonfiction and aren't, uh, they don't really lend themselves to the podcast as much. So here we are. I actually started um, Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead, but it's a bit heavy and I have enough heavy feelings right now, so I decided to pivot to something a little lighter. Um, so The Portrait of a Mirror, which I read on a travel for work um, situation over the weekend. Really fun book, very easy read. It's a modern retelling of the myth of Narcissus. And for those of you who have heard me talk about Greek mythology before, you know that I that's like my jam. As a kid, I was obsessed with Roman and Greek mythology. Uh, so I, perfect setup for me. Also, I feel like if I hadn't been a doctor, some potential other career choices might have been something in art history um, or a linguist. Like, those are the two things. Well, the dream job would have been being the music curator for some sort of TV show, but uh, that did not happen. So instead, I make playlists for my friends and playlists for myself. But I love art. I love art history. I love history of all sorts, but I really love art history um, and art museums. And I think the kind, the kind of like being a curate and uh, and being able to kind of you know walk people through museums and tell them stories about art is really cool. In fact, one of my mentors in fellowship, he did that. Um, and he's a neurologist, but he had, I think his, his undergrad degree was in art history. So he'd always like tie in art history pearls about medicine throughout like my two year fellowship, which I always just found to be so enjoyable because I am a humanities nerd at heart. So anyway, um, so this book was written by a, um, a, uh, alum from University of Virginia, <clears throat> I'm not sure how old she is, but uh, she, I think this is her first novel, and she did an excellent job. I just, it was so much fun. It's set in 2015, and the premise is the following. You have two couples. You have Wes and Diana. Um, this is a married couple in New York. Wes is like, you know, the quintessential blue blood, you know, kid who was born with a silver spoon and has had all the good things handed to him, but also has had some trauma in his life. But he's, like, as good-looking as he is, pleasant and, you know, kind of well-loved. And Diana is his wife, and Wes has gotten by by being the sort of guy that, like, every man wants to be and every woman wants to be with. His wife suffers no fool. Uh, she has her own charms, and I'm, I'm thinking she's more kind of... Uh, upper middle class and marries well. It's not like she really grew up in the same amount of wealth that her husband did. 
uh, they they both work in this world of like finance and tech startups and um, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses phenomenon of that. Now, granted, Wes doesn't really have to keep up with anybody. He, he's wealthy, comes from money. Um, but there is that pressure to project a certain sort of image. And it's not just money, it's also intellect and success. Sometimes people have money and they are vapid and they don't even try to, like, do anything with the money. But these are not the, those sorts of rich people, Okay. Um, then you have Vivian and Dale. They live in Philadelphia, and Vivian is a um, a curator for the Museum um, of Art in Philadelphia, which I love that museum. I would go there a lot when I lived in Philly. And uh, her husband Dale works in like management consulting. He is the non wealthy person. Same sort of situation as Diana, kind of um, upper middle class, and then you know, smart, so ends up in the right rooms, which then allows him to get the opportunities that he, that he finds himself, you know, um, acquiring. Although deep down on the inside, he wants to be a novelist that just didn't have as much guarantee for a paycheck that would afford him the sort of life that he feels he ought to have. Vivian comes from money. And uh, you figure out that Vivian and Wes go back they go way back to um, private school days. Um, she's a bit older than Wes. And Vivian's kind of the one who got away for him. He doesn't think she remembers this, but she does. And I would say he's kind of the one who got away for her. Dale and Diana are just kind of along for the ride. Uh, and there is a, an overlap in their lives in such a way from, from a professional standpoint that kind of thrusts them all together. Now, um, Vivian and Dale are engaged to each other. Wes and Diana are married. And what's very kind of like central to this story, being a modern retelling of Narcissus, right, is that uh, Vivian is curating a um, exhibition at the Met in New York, and it's about narcissus and mirrors and how, you know, people are mirrors for us. Um, And I think if you remember, like, the retelling of the story, you know, narcissus is, like, looking at himself in the pool and... um, is so entranced with this beautiful youth that he sees, not realizing that it's himself that he's gazing upon, uh, to the point where he then, you know, finds himself actually rooted to the ground. And the, the flower that we know as Narcissus is named for him because that's who he turned into. And then you have Echo, um, this, this nymph who is adoring of him. And, of course, he's so self-involved he can't even see her. <clears throat> And she, in her grief, becomes just a mere shadow of herself, nay, a voice, repeating what her beloved says, okay? And of course, I I forget the way the gods played into this. I know Cupid, uh, maybe Cupid did something. If I remember correctly, he might have shot, (laughs) he's such a jerk, he might have shot Echo, which made Echo fall in love with Narcissus in the first place. And, you know, when he shoots you with an arrow, like, you're stuck. And, like, come hell high water, you can't break away from whomever happens to cross your path. 
And I can't remember if he shoots Narcissus before Narcissus happens to wash his face in the pool, and then that's how that happens, the self um, adoration. I, I forget the specifics, but I, I know Cupid plays a role um, in this myth. So, you know, we get the word, of course, narcissistic from Narcissus. Um, although it's interesting because from a pathological standpoint, I mean, you know, I am a neurologist, so personality disorders are something I'm familiar with. Um, narcissists are really kind of highly insecure people created by very kind of unsteady, dysfunctional, strange parenting situations. And uh, they aren't so much self-loving as just like so insecure and so self-involved that they can't get out of their own way. And then they're destructive to everyone else because of that. Um, this story kind of gives you a taste of this in relationship form. You know, what it's like to um, get what you want, what it's like to find your person, but then the fear of losing said person. And by finding your person, is it who you think you ought to be with or that the world wants to see you with? Or is it the person who actually kind of like makes your heart beat and um, finishes your thoughts without you having to say them, you know, uh, calls you out on your, on your trash and won't let you get away with it? Like, which kind of person are you supposed to be with? And also this idea of fidelity and, you know, what's really, I mean, I guess we know what an affair really is, right? It's not just physical, it's emotional, and it's, it's, it's about attention, it's about intent. There's a lot going on there. Like just because you don't sleep with someone um, doesn't mean that you haven't been uh, duplicitous to your partner if you're cultivating um, some sort of like interior narrative about being with someone else if you're attached, right? Um, or if you play with that without crossing physical boundaries, it doesn't make you actually um, any better because it's, it's just as bad. <laughs> um, and so they really kind of like the delving into this is, is fascinating. And you kind of have, you have this friend, Julian, who knows all four of these characters. He's this, you know, kind of flamboyantly gay guy who um, is unpartnered and it kind of floats about from couple to couple and always has his finger on the pulse of what's happening with the drama. I really like the way the story is because you get the perspective of each character. And then you also get like, Instagram profile post and Facebook post and text threads because it's the 20 teens, especially like in New York City or in Montauk or in Nantucket or in Philly. Um, and so it's just very, it's very modern. It's very fun. It, it kind of, you know, for those of us that had loved things like Gossip Girl, um, it kind of resonates with that sort of buzzy energy, um, you know, fashion details and people going to cool restaurants and and I forget some sort of dive bar where they play you know all the music that you would have heard when you were 16 17 because these characters are probably about seven years younger than I am I would say um I enjoyed it it's very light and fluffy you know I mean I guess unless you're married or partnered and um and you have a wandering eye or you're or you're not 
you know, satisfied with who you're with. Maybe that might be a problem. But if you aren't in that situation, it's enjoyable to, to watch um, unfold and to read. And so uh, if you want a little escapism, you want to live a little bit in the world of the, of the wealthy ne'er-do-wells who still find ways to make themselves miserable, then I highly enjoy, I highly, I can't speak now, I highly recommend um, this book to you, which I'll say again is The Portrait of a Mirror. It's also like very white, um, you know, there's a point where I appreciate the author kind of di- kind of dips her toe in the world of like the, you know, um, contrived liberal um, outrage about things like racism. They don't care about any of that. And, and I, I know people like this. I know these people very well, actually. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a very familiar uh, little, little world that, um, that the author creates. Um, I don't have really too much. Oh, I do have something that I'm enjoying. My, my very dear friend shared with me a show on Apple TV called Home. And it's 30-minute episodes about people who have intentionally created their oasis, which is their home, in various countries. I highly recommend it if you just kind of need a break from, you know, the troubles of life. So, yeah, that's all I've got. The Petite Polymath is a podcast from the mind of Britstone. Have a great week.